Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. I am glad that you are here today. I'm glad I'm here, and I'm glad He's risen. Christ arose. We've been looking at Christ, our mediator, and and different functions of Christ, and today, Christ arose. It's amazing. Uh, We're going to look in Luke chapter 24, and we're going to see some of the things about this, uh, and we're going to hear part of the story. We're not going to go through the entire story of the resurrection Uh, But we're going to look at parts of it, and parts of it defined as spelled out here in Luke 24. Christ arose. Now I tell you, if you understand who Jesus is, that he is God the Son, fully God, then him rising from the dead is not quite so amazing as God dying. But it, it is mind-boggling that God would do this for us. In fact, God knew what a mess people were. You read the Levitical laws, and they have laws against things that just disgust you. How could God have to put a law? Why would people do something as horrible and awful as that? But God loved us and died for us to take away the burden of our sins. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in who Christ is and what he has done. Today, as we celebrate his resurrection, we are mindful, as Tim said. We do that every Sunday. That's why we meet on Sundays, to celebrate the risen Savior. He rose from the dead on a Sunday. But we also, today, we especially focus on it this past week. Friday night, we looked at the crucifixion. Today, we look at the resurrection. And we're so mindful of it on this day. We thank you. We praise you. We pray that our hearts would be stirred. We pray that if there are those here today who have not yet trusted you as Savior, that they would do that today that they would believe on and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be grateful for all that he has done and will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 24, the first part of this story talks about the women, the women who came to the tomb. And what happened was uh, they buried Jesus, they closed up the tomb, but but they hadn't been able to do all the anointing spices that they liked to do because they had to prepare for the Sabbath. And, and now on Sunday, he's, uh, they're going because the Sabbath is over and they're going at early in the morning and they're going to anoint the body. That's what they did back then. They didn't do embalming. They didn't do uh, things that we do in our culture. But they would uh, wrap the body in 
uh, rag strips soaked in perfume and soaked in in uh, fragrances and they would wrap and so they were going and preparing to wrap the body and there were several women the different gospel accounts of this sometimes mention different names they a uh, group of women were there in Luke he only mentions uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary but as they're going there to the tomb uh, they something happens. Look in verse 6. The angel spoke to him, the uh, two men in shining apparel, it says in verse 4. Verse 6, he is not here. He is risen. Now, that's not what they were expecting. When they were walking there, what was their concern as they walked toward the tomb? Yeah, how could they roll the stone back? It was a big stone. How could they move the stone? Well, they didn't have to worry about that. It was rolled away. And uh, he is not here. He is risen. Verse 6 continues. Remember how he spoke when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. They were coming there. They, they thought they had it figured out. They thought that Jesus was dead. And they still wanted to show reverence for him. They still wanted to show respect. And they were going to wrap and anoint his body. And then an angel says, he's not here. He is risen from the dead. And then uh, Luke talks about Peter running to the tomb. Now, if you read it in the book of John, it says Peter and John ran to the tomb. And John happens to point out that he went a little faster than Peter did. I mean, if you, if you need to realize the apostles are just guys, then that's it. Uh, John said, yeah, Peter and I ran there, but I won. Had to point that out, you know. But Luke doesn't mention that part of it. But he talks about Peter going there and seeing. And so look at verse 12. Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. He marveled to himself. Now, the Bible records a conversation that Peter... I mean, sorry, the Bible... My grandpa would say, my mom's dad was a pastor, and he'd say, sorry, I got my tongue wrapped around my eye tooth and couldn't see what I was supposed to say. I just call it getting tongue-tied. But, but uh, the Bible doesn't describe the conversation, but it says that Peter and Jesus had a conversation because he revealed himself to Peter. And so Peter's marveling here, and then later he has a conversation with the Lord. And then uh, who's the next disciple mentioned in this passage? What's his name? It's a, a household word. Emmaus is the city. Cleopas. How many of you have grandchildren named Cleopas? No, uh, we named kids Peter still to this day, but nobody names him Cleopas. I'm not sure why, but somehow that name didn't come up when we were naming our sons either. But uh, see, uh, Jesus has a conversation with some others. And so in verse 18, uh, one is his name Cleopas, 
And so he's now going to describe to Jesus about some of the things that have taken place. And in verse 19, Jesus says, what things? Now, they don't recognize Jesus, and we talked about that Friday night, and so I'm not going to get into that. But they said to him in verse, the middle of verse 19, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who is a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how the chief, rule, chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. So, and now they say, certain of the women said, he's come back from the dead and, and we don't know what's going on. And so they're struggling and they're having difficulty. But Jesus then speaks to them in verse 25. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures concerning himself. Imagine that conversation, uh, that dialogue. Now, we have it written out. We can look it up in cross-references, and we can listen to it on our audio Bibles. But, but Jesus then walked them through the prophecies from the law of Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, going through all of it and explained to them who he was and how he fulfilled the scriptures. And then Jesus shows up with the other disciples. So the guy, the Cleopas and the other disciple, I feel sorry for him. We will meet him in heaven someday. Oh, you were the other guy, you know, uh, mysterious guy number one, you know. Uh, uh, but when, when, uh, when Cleopas and the other guy, they rush back, and they get back and the disciples are gathered together and they're in a locked room for fear of the Jews. Why would they be afraid? Well, their leader, the one who performed miracles, the one they saw walk on water, their leader had died. Now what happens often when a cause is built up around a person, that person dies, the cause is dead. And so the disciples are trying to figure out what's going to happen next. Are they going to come for us? What are we going to do? Our whole world was preaching Jesus. So uh, we, we're way past the women. We did uh, Peter and John and we did Cleopas. So now we're to Jesus shows up with the other disciples. I don't know if the PowerPoint's not working, but he's with the other disciples now. And he just shows up in the room. That'd be a little freaky, wouldn't it? Uh, we were talking about it in Trek on Thursday night. I said, what if Jim Ricosi finished the opener and he walked off and you guys are just sitting around and all of a sudden, there I am in the middle. You know, if I could do that, I would do that. Anna knows I like to startle her. I, if I could just show up in the middle of her bedroom someday, just poof, hey, Anna, and watch her freak out, I would love to do that. Uh, but, but Jesus doesn't come to freak them out. He comes to show them who he is. And maybe with our glorified body, we'll be able to just transport through walls. I don't know. That'd be pretty cool if we could. 
But Jesus showed up with the disciples and look in verse 33. Uh, These two guys, they rose up that very hour. They returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 who were with them gathered together and the Lord is risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. And they felt at peace. No, that's not what it says. They were terrified and frightened and supposed they'd seen a spirit because he just showed up. Peace to you. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and feet. Now, we call the hand and the wrist, we separate the wrist, but in their culture, in their day, they, they, they considered the wrist as part of the hand. And uh, when Jesus was crucified, the nail went through here, and that's how they would do it, so that the bones there could then hold the person on the cross. Some of the pictures you see of the crucifixion show the nail here. Well, the weight of the body, that would just rip the nail right out of the hand. So it went through here. What else goes through here? All the nerves and tendons and everything that connects the hand together goes through here. How many of you have ever had to endure carpal tunnel syndrome? Quite a few of you had to suffer pain from that. Some have had to have surgery to relieve that pain. And they intentionally did that not only to make him hang there, but also the act of nailing it in there caused extreme pain. And Jesus said, look, see my scars, which I got for you. He showed them his hands and his feet. And then he said, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. I don't know whether they were high-fiving or fist-bumping, but, but they could tell this is Jesus. He's real. He's in the flesh. And then he showed them his hands and his feet, and they still did not believe for joy. So he said, have you any food here? Now see that bro brunch? That's a spiritual thing. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, first thing he wanted to do was eat lunch with his bros, right? I'm just saying, okay? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish. John, we're not having broiled fish, are we? Okay, good. And, and some honeycomb. And, and he took it and he ate in their presence. Now, now, it's very important that they could touch him, not just hear him and see him. They could touch him. They could watch him eat and watch him swallow it. Because this is proof that it was not a spirit. Some people say, well, the spirit of Christ arose from the dead. No, Jesus rose bodily from the dead. He now had a glorified body, but it was a body, a recognizable human body. Jesus didn't glow in the dark after his resurrection. In heaven, he might give the appearance of glowing in the dark, except there won't be any darkness there, but he's going to be so bright. The, the awesome brightness of who he is was hidden a little bit when he lived on the earth. And so he took and he ate in their presence. And in verse 44, he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things what's next, must be fulfilled, which were written where? 
Love Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Say, all of these things were written about the Messiah. But in Israel, they didn't like the stuff about the suffering Messiah. They only focused on the conquering king. Now, they didn't realize Jesus was going to come twice. Nobody realized that until after Jesus ascended into heaven. He came the first time to pay the penalty for our sins. He'll come the second time to rule and reign on earth. And in between is that age we live in now called the church age. And so then in verse 45, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. It's interesting, when I was going to the University of Arizona, I had a a humanities instructor, and he was actually a Jewish man. He was not a believer, but he was not religiously Jewish. He was just culturally Jewish. And, And he was our teacher in our humanities class, and he said, I've read the Bible through, and he named how many times. At that stage in my life, he'd read it a lot more than I had at that point. And he said, uh, I just don't see how it could all be true. Well, God has to give us understanding. In fact, at John 6, Jesus said, you can't tr- trust Christ unless the Father's drawing you. So, by the way, if you're here today and you feel drawn to Christ, you should respond to it because you don't always get a second chance. Sometimes this is your opportunity to trust and follow Jesus Christ. Uh, But uh, Jesus had to open their understanding. They had walked with him at least three years. How many times had they heard Jesus speak? You know, some of the weeks mentioned in Scripture, Jesus preached multiple times in multiple cities, and they were with him. They heard him preach a lot. They heard him teach. They heard him share, and they still didn't get it. Now, I know sometimes you're going to feel frustrated that you can't understand it better. Give it time. Stay with it. The Holy Spirit helps reveal it to us as Jesus help reveal it to them. And so he opened their understanding and then he shared with them these truths. And so in verse 46, he says, thus it is written and thus it was, what's that next word? Necessary. Necessary. When something is necessary, Uh, Like if your doctor says, you need this surgery because if you don't have this surgery, you'll die. Um, It's necessary. It was necessary for Christ to die. We couldn't be saved if he hadn't died to pay the penalty for our salvation. We wouldn't have any hope for the future if he hadn't done that. It was essential that he would die. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer And it was necessary for him to rise from the dead. And it was necessary for him to rise from the dead on the third day. Why was that necessary? Because that's exactly what he said he would do. 
It was necessary. And then he says, and you are witnesses of these things. So it was necessary. It was essential. And so I want you to think about the historical aspect of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is historical. Now, first of all, there was a day in history when Jesus was arrested and condemned. This truly happened. It truly happened. In violation of Roman and Jewish law, there was that day in history when that innocent man named Jesus was crucified. The one examining him said, I find no fault in this man. And yet he still condemned him to death. There was a day in history, a Sunday, when Jesus rose from the grave. He he didn't stay dead. He was seen by men and women in Jerusalem and Judea and in Galilee. And in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul confirms the facts of the resurrection. And he said he was seen at one time by more than 500 people at the same time. Imagine if you went into a courtroom today and you had 500 witnesses who all said the same thing. How do you think the judge or jury would rule in that case? They'd have to go with the preponderance of the evidence. This really happened. Jesus rose from the dead. Paul himself became a witness to the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. It happened on Sunday in Jerusalem, exactly as he said it would. It's also historical in the sense that nothing like this had ever happened in the history of the world. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Other people came back from the dead, right? In the Bible, uh, when was the first time somebody came back from the dead? Elijah raised a boy in the... First Kings and Second Kings, Elisha raised a boy from the dead. In fact, there's a really kind of weird story told about uh, after Elisha died and he's been in the grave and they, they had a common grave and so they roll the stone away and put more people in there. And so they, they, some guys, a guy died and they had to bury him, but they were afraid of the enemy. So they just kind of rolled the stone and threw him in there. And then they're ready to slam the, the stone back and cover it up. And the guy they threw in there dead, hit the bones of Elisha and came back to life. How'd you like to be those guys? You're ready to roll the stone back. And he says, wait, don't shut the door. Whoa. Okay, so this is not the first time somebody came back from the dead. Jesus himself raised the widow's son. He raised Jairus' daughter. He raised Lazarus from the dead. But this is the first time in the history of the world where somebody came back from the dead by their own power. That had never happened. He rose from the dead. He said, I have the power to lay down my life, which he did. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then he died. And then I have the power to take it up again. And he did. Throughout his life, Jesus fulfilled God's word, doing and saying the very things the scriptures teach that the Messiah would do. He did exactly what Isaiah 53 said. He died in our place, his He took our penalty on him. 
And then he rose from the grave and received the inheritance, exactly like it says. And now he's fulfilling his own word. Everyone else who came back from the dead was raised by someone else. But Jesus raised himself. Everyone else who came back from the dead was surprised. But Jesus fully expected it. Everyone else who came back from the dead died again. But Jesus rose to live forever. And when we rise, we will live forever with him. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He is our mediator, our savior, our redeemer, and Lord. This is historical in the sense that it truly happened. And it's historical in the sense that nothing like this had ever happened before. But it's also historical in the sense that this changes everything. This changes everything. It changes the way we understand the law. Jesus opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scripture. It changes the way we understand the Old Testament. The laws and the sacrificial system of Moses weren't just rules for Israel. They were pointing toward the ultimate sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Psalms spoke of God our Savior and directed us to worship Jesus Christ even before he was born. We were worshiping the Lord. We were worshiping the Lord God. That's who Jesus is. That's what the Psalms wrote about. And the prophets told of his birth, his life, his message, his sacrifice, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. In fact, when you read Psalm 53 and I'm sorry, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, it describes the events of the, persecu- of the uh, crucifixion. Those events are described in Scripture hundreds of years, a thousand years before they actually happened in the life of Christ. This changes the way we view the Old Testament. This changes the way we view the crucifixion. Before the resurrection, how did people view the cross? When they thought of a cross, what did they think? It's torture, death, suffering, shame, pain, agony. Nobody viewed the cross as something positive. It was terrible and horrible and awful. People didn't want to think about the cross. They didn't want to see the cross. They were terrified by the cross. Kids probably had nightmares that someday they would end up on a cross. But after the resurrection, the cross became our symbol of hope. The cross became our our greatest symbol of love. People wear a cross as jewelry and we decorate churches with a cross because the cross became a great hope after Jesus rose from the dead. Before he rose from the dead, they hated the cross. They were terrified of the cross still. But when Jesus rose from the dead, it changed everything. We also see that the cross was necessary, as Jesus said. It was an essential part of God's plan of redemption. That's how God planned it. That's how God did it. The price for our sins 
was paid by Jesus on the cross. Each sin for each person. All sin for all time. All punishment directed toward Christ on the cross. He was the only one righteous and holy enough to be our propitiation, to be our substitute. Before the resurrection, the followers of Jesus were horrified by the cross. They were confused. They were panicked about their future. After the resurrection, the followers of Jesus Christ rejoiced in the cross and they became bold witnesses. In Galatians 6, Paul said he would glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It changed our perspective of the cross. The resurrection also changes our message. It changes our message. Every lesson that we teach, every message that we preach includes the truth of Jesus Christ, our hope in life and death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, Paul said he determined to focus his preaching ministry on Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what he focused on. That was the core of his message. We preach repentance and remission of sins exactly like Jesus said we should do. You know, there's a lot of people meeting today in a place called church. And they're talking about positive things in life, how to feel better about yourself. They're talking about uh, how you can get along with one another. And, And there's some biblical principles we can teach about those things. But every message should include pointing people to Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. That's what he wanted to do. And so we preach that you can know that you're a child of God. There's a lot of people who go to churches that call themselves churches of Jesus, call themselves followers of Jesus, and they say, you know, if you really work hard, you might get into heaven when you die. And the Bible says you don't get in by working hard. You get in by receiving a gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the only way in. And so we preach that you can know that you're going to God. And it's not because of something you did or do, but it's because of what he did for you. You see on the back wall, there's a map and there's pictures of missionaries up there that that we support. We prayerfully support them and we financially support them. And that missions program is directly linked to the words of Jesus in verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So we do it right in our local community. That was their Jerusalem. That's where it begins. And then we try and spread that message out to all nations. We have in our church history supported missionaries from every continent on this planet except Antarctica. We've never sent a missionary to Antarctica. I tried to get Jeff to go, but he wouldn't. But we do that because we send and we support and we pray for them because that's what Jesus said his followers are supposed to do. And then in verse 48, it changes our purpose. The purpose of your life is changed. And you are witnesses of these things. 
He was talking to those guys there. But you read other things that Jesus taught and then taught by the apostles. We now have that responsibility today. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You are not here on planet Earth to carve out a successful life for yourself. You're not here on planet Earth to enjoy your retirement. You are here on planet Earth to serve and minister for Jesus. You are here to not to fulfill your purpose, but to fulfill His purpose. Not to achieve your highest potential, but to achieve uh, telling people about Jesus. God has assigned you the task of being a representative and a witness for Jesus of his death and his burial and his resurrection. So look at your schedule. Look at your finances. Look at your heart. Are you following the purpose that he has laid out for your life? Are you helping people trust and follow Jesus Christ? Are you living for his glory and not your own? Are you exalting him because he alone is worthy of our worship and praise? This changes everything. And if it hasn't changed your life, then there's one of two things that haven't taken place. Either you have not received Jesus Christ as your Savior or you're not walking in obedience to Him. One of the two. We're supposed to exalt Him. The resurrection shows us. This is historical. It's true history. It's historical because it stands alone in all the history of all the world. And it's historical because it's so dynamic. It changes our perspective on how we study the scripture. It changes our perspective on how we view the crucifixion. It changes our witness. It changes our message. It changes our purpose. It changes who we are. Because apart from Christ, we are doomed and damned. Not using that phrase as a swear word. I'm not using that as a swear word. We face the damnation for our sins if we have not trusted Christ as our Savior. But in Christ, He makes us family. In Christ, He gives hope for the future. In Christ, we know that someday, if the Lord doesn't call us home sooner, someday people are going to be gathered at our memorial service. We've had several of those this year. Someday people will gather at our memorial service. But we'll be just fine with Jesus if you've trusted him as Savior. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Instantaneously. When you have received Jesus as your Savior. So I don't know what all is going on in your heart and in your life, but I'll tell you what, God does. And God wants you to trust and follow Jesus Christ. He wants you to tell other people about Jesus Christ. He wants you to worship Him and rejoice in Him. And He's glad that you're here today, gathering with a group of people to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. 
Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.